0: This episode contains depictions of graphic body horror and allusions to suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or the impulse to self-harm, please seek help. The United States National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The following is an excerpt of from the dead by edith nesbitt now i lay still as the dead woman in the next room and looked at what was left of my life i lay still and thought and thought and thought and in those hours i tasted the bitterness of death It must have been about three when I first became aware of a slight sound that was not the ticking of the clock. I say I first became aware, and yet I knew perfectly that I had heard that sound more than once before, and had yet determined not to hear it, because it came from the next room. The room where the corpse lay. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we reimagine ghostly tales from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways, and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Today's episode is the third installment in our final series, Edith and Edith. In honor of Women's History Month, we're releasing adaptations of Edith Nesbitt and Edith Wharton's greatest horror stories. So far, we've met Nesbitt's ghoulish statues and Wharton's tragic maid. But today's tale is a bit more... intimate. First published in 1880, From the Dead is narrated by its protagonist, a young man of wealth named Arthur Marsh. At first, Arthur seems to be the very picture of a gothic hero, moody, mercurial, and given to dramatic behavior. The kind of man who would storm off into foul weather or jump into a grave to lament his beloved. But in this instance, it's hard to cradle the corpse of someone you love, especially when it's you who put them there. Coming up, our hero fails his first tragic test.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity, with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app.
0: New season, out on Spotify soon. The spray of the sea chilled me as I watched the cold waves crash below. I screamed until my voice was hoarse. Ida! Ida, please! Come back to me! Only the churning foam answered, hissing in response. Your fault. Your fault. I looked down at the whitecaps and wondered if that was Ida's dress twirling in the waves. I hope to God it wasn't. The present tragedy terrified me, but the past was no better. I had lost two brides with one letter. The first, Elvira, had been in my dreams since we were small. We were fated to be together by the rights and reputations of our families mine had money and hers a title a cynic might suggest our union was only an attempt to hold on to a seat in the house of lords but elvia and i adored each other or at least i'd thought so imagine my devastation when ida helmont the daughter of one of my father's lesser rivals showed me a letter containing the vows of love my future bride had written to another. Ida's own brother, Oscar. I was beside myself. Not only had I lost Elvira, she'd chosen destitution over my love. Everyone knew the Helmonts had lost their fortune, but Elvira had chosen Oscar nonetheless. And now, I was the laughingstock of the Tonne. The doors of my life had shut, but then, though I would never have dreamed it, Ida saved me. Sweet, Ida Helmont visited me every day. She consoled me, and I grew to love her faster than I thought possible. Soon, Elvia's betrayal was nothing but a memory, and just months after my broken engagement, I began another. I asked for Ida's hand. It was only after our marriage that I learned the truth. After months of wedded bliss, my beloved came to me with a confession. It was about the letter she discovered from Elvira to Oscar. At the time, she told me she'd found it in Oscar's desk. But now she admitted this had been a lie. She forged the letter that set our courtship in motion. You've ruined- my life! I screamed it so loudly the walls shook. Ida's hands trembled but she kept her gaze leveled at me. You cannot mean that! My eyes were hard, my jaw tight. It is the truth. The life I could have had is dead, murdered by your jealous hand. I have never struck her and never would, Yet her hand went to her cheek, as if my words had lashed her across her face. At this, my heart ached, but my rage burned hotter. Ida had lied to me, tricked me into marrying her. She had made me a fool. As I stormed off, I could hear the sounds of her sobs. It didn't matter to me. I went into my office and slammed the door. I read facing the window so I could watch the roiling gray sea in the distance just beyond the white cliffs. Nearly half an hour later, I saw her through the gathering fog. Ida was running toward the cliffs. The mist swirled around her with every step. I walked back to our bedroom. My bedroom. There I found a letter on my pillow. I looked at you as my god, Arthur. I gave you everything I had. I have done unspeakable things to be with you, but it wasn't enough. I will burden you no further. I will not return to your altar. You're free of me." I didn't want to believe her words. I had no unreasonable demands. I'd requested no pedestal. I'd certainly never wanted her to lie to me, and yet I remembered her preparing my tea for me. She would sit near my feet as I read the paper. She recalled every story I told with equal wonder and admiration. She stayed up with me when I was sick, perched beside my bed, stroking my hair until I could sleep again. She cared about me more than Elvire ever had. Love makes one brave enough to take any risk. Her actions had shown that I could forgive the rest. I raced to the cliffs. I thought I saw a piece of fabric twisting in the water, but when I looked again, all I saw was churning foam. Something screamed in my ear. Wind or ida, I didn't care. I screamed back. Stay! Please stay! Nothing answered me. When the cold became too much, I instructed the servants to keep searching. They couldn't say where she'd gone. They'd lost her in the fog, they said. She'd simply disappeared. In the days that followed, I willed Ida back to me. And she came. I saw her in my dreams. Her face was swollen, her eyes were red and her dress was in tatters. In spite of this, she was still so lovely. I tried to take her in my arms But she wouldn't let me and when i tried to speak to her she was silent i sank to my knees and reached for her begging her forgiveness but she always pulled away i tried to reason with her i was certain that if she only let me hold her we would be together again for all eternity we could be as we'd always been these dreams continued after that night each the same as the last During the day, I did what I could to exhaust myself, so I could spend more hours with Ida at night. Days quickly turned to months, but still, she remained a distant phantom. One night, I saw her in a crumbling version of our house. The walls dripped with some thick substance I didn't recognize and the windows were covered by swirling fog. Ida's skin was translucent I could see her heart pulsing in her chest. She lifted her hand. I wanted to go to her, but my legs wouldn't respond. I couldn't let my chance slip away, so I collapsed to the ground and crawled to her. It was my turn to view her as a god. As I approached, she looked down at me with eyes made of stone. I asked for some sign. I needed a way to reach her. But her head tilted upwards. Looking away from me, I trembled both from desperation and the cold. Even though we were indoors, the wind whipped around me like it had on the cliffs. Then, finally, Ida looked at me. And though her lips did not move, I heard her scream. My body jerked awake. In my terror, I'd woken myself up from the dream. I settled back into bed, cursing myself, and closed my eyes. But try as I might, sleep wouldn't come. In the early hours of the morning, a knock sounded at my door. My valet handed me an envelope, a telegram. I could smell Ida on the paper, juniper berries and lavender. My pulse raced as I tore open the letter, my eyes racing over her word, It read, Come to me at once at Apingshaw Farm in Mellor. I am dying. You must come, Ida. My heart leapt. She must have meant she was wasting away without me. Ida had always had a poetic spirit, but now we would start anew. I immediately had my valet book the first train to Derbyshire. Mellor was a small village near Ida's parents' estate. I was a bit annoyed to realize her family must have been concealing her whereabouts from me, but the resentment didn't last. Very soon we would be together again. Hours later I arrived to find the station was very far from the farm, so I took a coach over the bleak looking hills. I didn't see Apingshore farm until we were right upon it. The broken down house and barn were too small to appear on the horizon. I was certain the driver had made a mistake, but he told me there was only one aping shore in all of Derbyshire County. It had been derelict for many years. People said it was haunted. My heart broke as I realized what had happened. Poor Ida was squatting near her parents' land, too embarrassed to admit she was hurting, too scared to ask for help. I leapt from the carriage and knocked on the door. The wood wobbled under my fist, but I continued rapping until the door opened to reveal... Elvira! The woman my dear Ida had prevented me from marrying. My jaw dropped. But she didn't look surprised to see me. You're too late. She died yesterday. I felt a large crack split through my soul, sharp and cold. It couldn't be true. I said, you must be mistaken. She was waiting for me. Elvire glared at me. Well, she stopped waiting. Coming up, Arthur faces his beloved one last time.
1: The I-5 Strangler, the Southside Dentist, the Berlin Butcher, meet the many faces of evil in the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. Every Monday and Thursday, take a journey through the origin, evolution, and madness of a real-life murderer, exploring the reasons why they lived to kill. Using extensive research and details you won't hear anywhere else, Serial Killers takes an in-depth look at the horrors beyond the headlines. With hundreds of episodes available to binge and new ones released weekly, get to know the killers, crimes, and cases that left an indelible stain on history. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify.
0: Now, back to the story. Ida had told me she had done unspeakable things for me, and now I'd done unspeakable things in return. I had wished my wife dead for a lie that let me love her. Now Like some nightmare, my former fiancé, Elvira, stood in a rundown farmhouse, telling me my cruelest wish had come true. Ida was gone. I didn't want to believe her. What have you done to Ida? You should punish me, not her. Elvira didn't flinch. I have only loved her. I couldn't let this lie stand. You hated her, I shouted. She destroyed our engagement with her forged letter. Elvira sighed. (sighs) Her lies exposed my truth. I told her I didn't want to go through with it, but I was trapped. They'd never let me choose Oscar over you, not with the state of his family's finances. She did what I was afraid to do. She saved me. Elvira's meaning was clear. Ida had saved her... from me. Elvira continued. Whatever her faults, Ida was genuine, trusting. She wanted a hero. She got you. That is not her fault. My heart pounded in my ears. I opened my mouth to argue but said nothing. Instead, I wished I could be better. I wanted to be better. I had tried, hadn't I? I cleared my throat. throat) Where is Oscar? Elvira crossed her arms. He's gathering the family. We're burying her tomorrow. You're not invited. I bristled. We were in love. It was a weak defense, but it was true. Elvira's laugh was cold. <laughs> if you'd loved her, she would have never come here. I took a moment to examine where here actually was. The house had looked cold and uncomfortable from the outside. The inside was worse. The wallpaper was threadbare, and the embers in the mouldering fireplace gave off no real heat. There was a child screaming somewhere. He's yours. My head shot back to Elvia. What on earth are you talking about? She spoke again in that same matter-of-fact tone. The screams. That's your child, born last week. Her words sent my head spinning. I couldn't focus. Not on that. Not now. Instead, I pointed to the only exit to the room. Is... Is Ida that way? Elvia nodded. Second door on the right. I could feel her disgust as I pushed past her and into a small bedroom. The curtains were drawn, so I had only the smallest sliver of light to see the four-poster bed that dominated the room. And there, resting peacefully, was Ida. She was so beautiful, even in death. Her skin was smooth, almost dewy. And her cheeks were pink, as though she'd pinched them to bring out some color. I brushed my lips against hers. They were cold. But then I felt a small puff of air against my skin. She was breathing. Ida was alive. I tried to pull her to me, but her arms were stiff. When Elvia burst into the room a moment later, I didn't care. Ida was the only thing that mattered. I tried to pry her eyes open with my fingers, but I only revealed the thread that kept them sewn shut. I went to remove it, but Elvia screamed and yanked me away. I shoved her back. She's not dead! She's not! She breathed! Elvia stood between Ida and me. That's the air of putrefaction, Arthur. There were tears in her eyes. She wanted to wait for you. She tried. But now you're here and she's rotting. You've hurt her enough. Her words hit me like a freight car. I took a gasping breath, and though I fought back tears, my body began to tremble. After a moment, Elvira guided me from the room into the next bedroom over. As soon as I stepped inside, I heard the click of a lock. The room was a mirror image of Ida's. Dark curtains, massive bed, The headboard stood against the wall where Ida's was. I imagined her sleeping only whispers away. Maybe Elvira was right, and my love really was dead. Yet one last desperate hope sank its claws into my mind. Perhaps this was only a trick, a lesson, a fairy tale. If I held her again, maybe we would both be restored. I spent that afternoon lying on the bed, my mind awash with hope and my ears attuned to even the slightest sign of life coming from Ida's room. Hours passed and day slipped into night. I was almost ready to give up when I heard one solid footstep. I put my ear to the wall. There was a rustling and then another footstep. They came in a steady rhythm. I should have moved to follow them, but I was paralyzed with nerves. Ida had called me her god once. Could my love have resurrected her? The doorknob turned. I wasn't sure when it had been unlocked. I had been too focused on the sounds from the other room to pay attention to anything else. I held my breath as it opened. My wife stood in the doorway, framed by a sliver of moonlight shining through the dark curtains. Her lips were red and her cheeks still full of life. But she walked in odd, stilted movements, like a puppet. She reached up to fumble with the thread laced through her eyelids. I wanted to rush to her to say, let me do that, darling. But seeing her like this I couldn't move. Her nightgown was bulging around the middle. I thought at first it was simply an effect of birthing our son, but this was not the shape of a mother who had recently given birth. The bulge was lopsided. Something leaked from beneath her dress. I clutched the edge of the bedsheet as Ida stepped closer. She grimaced as she finally managed to get a hold of the thread holding her eyelids. She tugged each string free. The lids rose to reveal blood-crusted sockets and grey, desiccated eyes. Ida unwrapped the bandage tied at the top of her head. Her jaw fell open, fully unhinged. She winced and adjusted it. Then she spoke in that same perfect voice I knew so well. You came. I told Elvia you would. She doesn't know how good you are, but I do. Have you seen our son? A spider crept out of her ear and down her neck. She didn't seem to notice. Her eyes were fixed on me. Say something, Arthur. We're together again. The words caught in my throat. This wasn't some blessed resurrection. This was something different. This was a dead thing given the kiss of life to haunt me. I didn't feel comforted. I was terrified. My mind was reeling. Would she drag me into death with her? I may hate myself immensely, but I have never wished for that. She was still smiling at me with those same adoring eyes. Tell me you love me. I tried to hide the tremble in my voice. I love you, as I've never loved another. Ida's lips pulled into a misshapen smile. I realized they weren't red, but purple and brown, swollen with some unknown liquid. Will you kiss me again, Arthur? Bile rose in my throat. I could not feel that dead thing on me. I would not. She must have seen it on my face. She wept clotted blood. You hate me. I frighten you and you still hate me. I tried to keep my voice level and soothing. No, no, no. I only... You've changed, my love. She sniffled, wiping the thick blood across her cheeks i know i've changed but if you hold me again we can be together always you want that don't you i realized suddenly that this must be a dream there was no walking corpse no ida back from the dead there was only my guilt I pulled the sheet over my head and lay down, willing myself to dispel this nightmare. I felt her tugging at my hands, but I would not let her take hold. Arthur, Arthur, stop, please, stay. The white sheet darkened to a foggy grey. My vision was distorted around the edges. I could feel a pressure in my head. Sleep was so close, I could be rid of her in a moment. The assault stopped very suddenly. I felt the pressure on the bed change. Then I heard her voice again, small and mournful. I'll sit here, my love, until you feel better. Will you let me stroke your hair? My pulse thundered in my ears. I needed to sleep. She'd always been so good at getting me to sleep. Perhaps if I didn't look at her... All right, I said. I remained beneath the sheet and waited. A delicate hand touched my head through the fabric. Rest, Arthur, rest. With Ida's macabre blessing, I passed into the deepest sleep I've ever had. I woke to the sound of screams I quickly pulled the sheet off of my head. Elvira stood beside my bed, mouth agape. What have you done to her, you monster? I followed their gaze to the foot of the bed. Ida was still sitting there, frozen. She was watching me with still, dead eyes. Her jaw hung open unnaturally. I scrambled to the other side of the bed, trying to get away. Ida swayed. I waited for her to catch herself, but her limbs didn't move. Finally, her rigid form toppled out of the bed, landing splayed and broken on the floor. Truly a corpse, now and forever. Edith Nesbitt's husband, Hubert Bland, rarely supported his growing family and had no interest in being faithful. He once wrote, Men do not love women, or if they love them, they love them as the hawk loves the pigeon, or you love chocolate almonds. It is interesting, then, to examine Arthur's repeated promises of love for his wife in From the Dead. Ida asked him to prove it by embracing her corpse, and Arthur is certain that if he can manage that, they will be together. But he is too frightened, and loses her permanently. This motif of embracing the dead harkens back to a legacy of guilt-ridden heroes looking to see or hold their loved ones one last time. The most notable is Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights, or even Hamlet, who leaps into the grave of his wronged love Ophelia. If Arthur loves Ida, by the conventions of genre, he should be able to do it, yet he cannot. Marriage, Nesbit suggests, is not a fair-weather thing. It takes patience, empathy, and effort. You must embrace the people you care about, even at their darkest points. In the end, all Ida wanted was to be loved. If Arthur had seen that sooner, she might not have sought his affection so desperately. Even after she died. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. Join us next Thursday for another tale from Edith Nesbitt and the penultimate episode of our show. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free exclusively on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Jen Roche and Lil Ritter, with writing assistance by Robert Teemstra and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Audrian Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden.
1: Their names have become larger than life. Their crimes, some of the most heinous in history. Their stories examined each week on the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Every Monday and Thursday, journey past the headlines and into the minds and motives of the murderers who forever changed the face of history. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. Listen free only on Spotify.